right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a blessing, a rich, rich blessing that is. We say thank you to you, God, for giving us a church that is full of a lot of love and appreciation. Father, today, in these days, we hear people all the time saying that they don't like their church or don't like their pastor or this or that. And Father, I thank you that at least in my little bubble or my little world, uh, I'm not familiar with that. God, what a grace it has been to me, to Valeria, to JJ, Eli, Noah, Carolina, and Liliana, that when we think of church, we think of people that love and care for each other. And yet, Father, that is my experience. And we are reminded here today, God, that there are people not here and people maybe in our midst who think, well, maybe Pastor Josh gets that, but I don't. And so, Father, we need to look to your word to have the Lord Jesus Christ change our hearts and give us a perspective that is the godly one so that we might live for you. Father, we are fully aware that life is not about us. It is very humbling to have uh, an appreciation day or service, but we pray today, God, that you would make us a church that looks to you, finds answers from you, and then by the power of your good grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we live for Jesus. Father, we ask your blessing on the preaching today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn the Bible to Micah chapter 6. We've been in the uh, Minor Prophets for some time, and now we're at Micah chapter 6. While you're turning there, let me take just a moment to say thank you, thank you so much. What I just prayed is sincere from the bottom of my heart um, that me and Valeria, my wife, and our children uh, love our church. We love being here, and we do feel the love from you guys. We do. We appreciate Dan Pomeroy leading you all to do that. Appreciate so much the words. I speak for, for all the other leaders, and that means a lot, lot to us. Uh, Ms. Laverne, thank you so very much for, for what you've said. Um, that's encouraging. We all need to be appreciated or feel appreciated, and um, you all are doing that. I had somebody come to me this morning and say, listen, I've got to leave early today, so I'm not going to stay for lunch. And I didn't bring a gift for you, but I appreciate you. And I said to them, you know, thank you so much. I said, I don't need any gifts from you guys. I said, what will mean the most to me and to anybody else is if you set your eyes on Jesus and follow him. Now, that's what my calling from God is. God doesn't want me to do a good job in the sense that you all like me. God doesn't want us to do a good job in the sense that you like us, and so there's just a lot of gifts back and forth. That doesn't mean we can't do that, okay? But what is the measure of a, of a real pastor is his faithfulness to God. And what is the measure, listen to me, of a true church is their faithfulness to God. And to the extent that God might be using you all to make me a better pastor and to the extent that God might be using me to make you a, a better church, then praise God. And you guys worship God when you see me growing and serving you all well 
And I worship God, oh, do I worship God, when I see him growing you all. I mean, I know it sounds crazy. Y'all can give all the money you want to me and my family, and we'll take it. We will. (laughs) But it will not mean anything in my heart and in my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to lead you all. When I study and when I pray like I was praying this morning, it didn't even cross my mind for you all to give me a gift. What I prayed was for God to draw y'all to him. That's what we pray. That's what we do. And so we are so thankful to be a part of this. I have so many friends in the ministry, guys I went to school with, guys that are at churches, and um, it it is such a common thing for guys to be miserable and unhappy and to not sure what they need to do and they think they need to go somewhere else and hear so many stories like that and to be totally honest we really can't relate we can't relate to that we love being in your lives and we love you being in our lives and we think that is truly a gift of God and we want to continue in that so thank you all thank you all so so very much. I recently told somebody that, now again, my, my, my uh, experience is very, very small and limited compared to many. This is the only church I've ever worked for, ever. I was 23 and fresh out of college when I got here. It's been 15 years. I am 38 now, but this is the only church I've ever been at, so this is, this is all I know. There's a lot more experience to church work in the world that I know nothing about. But I recently told somebody that I'm ready for somebody to write a book that says now is the perfect time to grow up in church. You know, there are a lot of horror stories about people that grow up in church and never like the church, right? We hear it all the time. We know people like that, right? They grew up in church and they don't like the church. And I said, you know, I think now is the perfect time to write a book. This is the perfect time to grow up in church. And then I said, here's why I think that. Because J.J. is now 10, Eli's 9, Noah just turned 8 last week, Carolina's 5, and Liliana's 3. Combined, that's about 30 years or so of living and growing up in church. Because of you guys, I mean this, this is a huge compliment and encouragement. I honestly think, and I'll be completely transparent with you all, I don't think they know the first thing of negatives in the church. They have never seen a fight. They have never seen a complaint against me. They've never heard any of that. They don't know of any of it. Their experience is church is nothing but all good. On a rainy day when we're sitting at home thinking, what can we do? They'll say, you want to go to church? And I want to commend you all for that. That is a church that is striving to love and serve both God and people. And may it continue to be that way. May our perspective truly be on Jesus, informed by his word. So thank you all so very much. Micah chapter 6. This is our third sermon now from the minor prophet Micah. You know that the minor prophets aren't minor because of their significance. They're minor because of their size. 
Micah chapter 6 starts the ending section. I told you that Micah has three cycles to it, and every one, chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 6, begins with this calling to hear. What a big idea that we have in Scripture that we need to be hearers. We need to be listeners. We need to open our ears, cut out distractions. We need to set our focus on God and what is he saying. Chapter 1 begins, verse 2, hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention. Chapter 3 begins, and I said, hear you heads of Jacob. And now we get to chapter 6. And it says, hear what the Lord says. Micah, like most of the prophets, is telling the people of God that he is disappointed with them. He is now angered with them. They claim to know God, but they do not live for God. They are supposed to have mouths that reflect worship and humility and thankfulness, but their mouths are really foul and they give their praise to another. They're supposed to live in obedience toward God and what he says, but their lives are characterized by disobedience and indifference to what God says. It's ugly, really. That the people of God do not reflect God, and that is a problem. And so he's been warning, he's been warning, he's been warning them that he is going to judge them, he is going to destroy them. And in chapter 5, last week, we saw him mention in chapter 5, verse 2, that there is hope coming, and he refers to a Savior coming. And it speaks to Jesus being born in Bethlehem, how the Savior of the world would enter the world in a unique way. He came as a baby. It says there in chapter 5, verse 5, They shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. He was telling the wayward, sinful people of Israel that there is coming one who will be your savior, he'll be great over the whole world, and he will be your peace. And so they have this idea of a savior. And then we get to chapter 6 where we begin today and it starts back the cycle of you need to listen. But since it is the end of Micah, it is intensifying. So let's walk through this passage. Micah chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills Hear your voice. This is fascinating. God does this often in the scriptures. God now appeals to nature as a witness against the people. You may be thinking that you've got a lot of people that are on your side and a lot of people who agree with you and you're confident in who you are and the way you've been living, but because you have other people that will affirm you and tell you that you're right or that it's okay or that you're not wrong and those types of things, but God here does something that we never think to do. God says, uh, let, the, let nature get involved with this. Let the mountains, let the hills hear what you want to say. God has told them, you are uh, angering me. I am disappointed. You have not lived for me. And God says, explain that to the mountains. Why? Because the mountains know. Oh, do the mountains know the glory of God. And the mountains are aware that you and I have not lived faithfully for him. Verse 2, he says, Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel, God is now pointing the finger that Israel is wrong. Your sins have separated you from God, and he is upset, and he says, tell it to the mountains. In other words, what's your excuse? What's your explanation? 
If you've not been living for God, then tell us why you haven't. What has God done to you, or what's the reason, or how might you explain that away or justify that? And as we all know, when we're talking to other people, excuses work. But before God, there are no excuses. We need to be honest before God. We need to humble ourselves. Austin read that passage from 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. If you cannot close your mouth and be still before God, if you cannot bow your knee and confess that you've been wrong, if you cannot acknowledge that God is good and that you have uh, injured him or you have gone against him, then you are still in the wrong. God is telling them, give your case, explain, the mountains are listening. When you put it in that perspective that God is creator, he's big and he knows, then obviously there is not anything they could say that's good. What about you? Why have you not been living for God the way you ought to be? Why have you not? I don't know what it is in your heart and mind, but if you are aware that you are sinning against God, you have not surrendered yourself to him or submitted yourself to him, you've not aimed for obedience or walked in uh, uh, the ways of God, why not? Are you hoping to be good enough to make heaven but bad enough to, to, to not be something else? Do you only compare yourselves to others? And of course, if you search far enough, there are people worse than you. Well, what are your excuses? Would you dare ask the hills to support you in the name of God? Would you ask the mountains? Verse 3, God bears his heart. I hope you know scriptures like this. Micah chapter 6, verse 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. It's an interesting verse, isn't it? We know that there is no sin in God. There's no flaw in him. He is altogether complete and whole. He is God and there is no other. He does what he pleases. He is holy and thorough and altogether wonderful. God is, right? But there is a sense here in which God is saying to them, have, have I let you down? You get here the heart of our Father in heaven who tells us time and time again, He loves us. It gives the picture of a family, of a parent who sees the kid going wayward or sees the kid uh, living in a way that hurts them, that's making their life worse, that's damaging themselves, making bad decisions, and the parent sends the kid down and says, is it my fault? Have I failed you? And you hear the love, the care, the concern there. Micah 6.3 has God say to the nation of Israel that he created for his name's sake, living against him. They worship false gods. They do not worship God. They're living the way the other nations who do not even know God live. They look like the ungodly. They look like pagans. And God says, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Please tell me. And as we know, 
God has not done anything wrong to them. As we know, when somebody starts pouring your heart, their heart out to you, surely inside of you somewhere is a care and a sensitivity to think, I ought to consider them. Is it not the mark of running that we are only doing what we want to do? How often do you see on Facebook, almost regularly, somebody posts, tired of trying to do everything for everybody else. I got to start looking out for me every once in a while. I got to start living for me. I got to start trying to make me happy. Enough of trying to live for everybody else. It's getting me nowhere. We see it all the time. Is it not the mark of those who are running from God that they don't care what everybody else thinks or how it makes everybody else feel? Isn't it a characteristic of people today that they are living how they want to live and they don't care one bit how much it pains their parents? And isn't it the mark of people of God that we find ourselves living at times in ways that God hates, and we don't even think about it enough to think that bothers God. Surely in your family there are some things that he does or she does or they do, and you think, I really hate it when you do that. Would you please stop doing that? And in a family where there's any love, you think, okay, it doesn't really bother me, but since it bothers you, I won't do that anymore. People of God certainly should think this way about God. But you can never get to this if you don't know what God cares about. If you don't know what God desires. Or better yet, what he requires. After God gives that heartfelt questioning in verse 3, he goes into verses 4 and 5 and he starts reminding them of what he's done. I've preached on this many times, y'all. The Bible teaches... That characteristics of people of God is that they are always remembering their past and passing it on for the future. I've preached on this many times. It is a characteristic of healthy churches and healthy Christians that they are always thinking about where they came from and wanting to tell those who are going there to learn from their past. The Bible teaches us over and over again that we are to be telling people what God has done for us, what God has done for us, what God has done for us us and in understanding all that God has done for us our faith will be strengthened because we know he will continue to do that for us because he's faithful if you don't remember what God did for you if you don't ever recall what God did for you if you can't think about anything God did for you you've got zero ounce of strength in your faith for what he's going to do for you tomorrow and so you'll quit you'll give up you'll complain or you'll run with indifference But the Bible teaches us time and time again, don't you remember a year ago? Don't you remember five years ago? Don't you remember ten years ago how hard it was and how ugly you were and how you were just straight up running from God? And don't you remember how he brought you back? And don't you remember how he saved you? Don't you remember when you first came to me and said, Josh, I need to be forgiven of my sins? Don't you remember when I baptized you? Don't you remember those things? And what it was that God was building you up on then that you may have forgotten about, that same truth and character of God is there for you tomorrow. God, in verses 4 and 5, recalls to them. Remember, they are living against God. And look what he says in verse 4. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. 
and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Now listen, this is Pastor Appreciation Day, and we've recognized that we have leaders in our church. He reminds them that he gave them their good leaders. He reminds them that he gave them their good leaders because they loved those people. They loved the way they led them. Verse 5, oh, my people, remember what Balak and king of Moab devised? And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him? And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord? He is reminding them of what his faithful leaders looked like in the face of those unfaithful prophets and what they looked like. He's reminding them, what that's talking about is the final stages of getting to the promised land. He's reminding them that he gave promises. He led them through those promises. He fulfilled those promises. There is a Truth in the scripture that says what God started, he will finish. That God never lets us down. He will never leave us or forsake us. Philippians 1.6 says, I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is reminding them, you know I used to be faithful to you. Don't you remember all that I did in your lives? Don't you remember the good days? Why are you not living under those truths now? Why are you not clinging to that type of uh, father, God, leadership now? From verse 3 to verse 4 to verse 5, you can see that God is grieved by his people's sin. And a very simple point of application is, if you aren't bothered that God is bothered, by your sins, then you may not know God. Our sins against God hurt God. That should bother us. God says, oh my people, in verse 3. God says, oh my people, in verse 5. God has laid before them that their sins are a problem. So, in verse 6, they answer back. They answer back with, okay, what do we need to do? We've hurt his feelings. We've offended him. What do we need to do about it? You know, every once in a while, I'll really, really make Val mad. And I know quickly how to write a poem and run and buy some flowers and stop by the coffee shop and bring her a coffee drink or whatever. And she'll say, the only reason why you're doing that is because you know you upset me. I said, yeah, but what do you want me to do? She says, I want you to have a heart and an understanding for me so that you don't do that. God has laid this indictment before his people. And now they're going to answer back, okay, what can we do? This is a huge passage right here, and you're going to learn a lot from it, verses 6, 7, and 8. They say, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? 
In other words, they're saying, all right, we've really messed up. God is mad at us. Our God is mad at us. We have really let him down. We've really done wrong here. We are sinners. How do we restore our relationship to God? In many ways, y'all, the very position they're in is the position that we're all in. We've sinned against God. How do we fix it? How do we get restored to God? And that's what they're asking, right? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Here's their first thought. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Ooh. What they're talking about here is a quality sacrifice. One little year old awesome calf. Very expensive Offering a one-year-old calf would mean the whole thing would be burnt up, mean nothing left, meaning that it would be a very costly sacrifice. Their idea here is, can I do something that is worth so much that God knows I'm serious? When you have sinned, you start thinking, man, I need to go and give a lot of money to church. I need to go and hit my knees for two hours and pray. I need to stay up all night praying. I need to go and read the Bible. I need to read it, read it. Do you start thinking about something big that you could do to prove to God? You ever heard somebody who was far from God in their sins? They said, hey, I need to go on a mission trip to try to swing everything back in the right direction. This is their thought. What if we give him an offering with a one-year-old calf? The quality. But then he goes, or then they go, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams? So now it's not quality so much, but now it's quantity. I'm going to do more, right? Our true story, I remember somebody, they don't, they don't go to church here, but I remember a few years ago, uh, somebody in the community called, and their kid was on the verge of dying. They asked if I would pray for their kid. And I said, yeah. And we prayed. And I said, are you praying? They said, yeah. They said, I made this promise to God that if God lets our kid live, I will never, ever miss church again. They wanted their kid to live, didn't they? Of course. And when you want something so badly, you're willing to vow as much as you possibly can. Their kid lived. They came to church one time. I don't know what that means. It's kind of what they're saying here. If we don't give a one-year-old calf that shows so much worth and quality, what about 10,000 rams sacrificed to the Lord? Uh, would that be pleasing to him? What about quantity? And then from there, they go to something even bigger and they say, what about 10,000 of rivers of oil? Then from there, they go to something even crazier. They go to the far extreme. So if it is that God is going to be pleased with us through us doing something grand for him, then let's just go all out. Here's what it is. What if I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Maybe to me or you, that sounds ridiculous, right? But it's not ridiculous to think that people who know they've sinned against God are willing to do 
anything to make it right. It's common. These people of Israel are aware that they have sinned against God. Does everybody hear me? See, a lot of times you all start thinking that just awareness of being a sinner gets you to being a believer. That's not right. When we talk about the four points of the gospel, which we talk about a lot here, it is God is holy, people are sinful, Jesus is the answer by dying on the cross for our sins, but the fourth point is mandatory. The fourth point is upon knowing those three, you must respond with faith and repentance. You don't just know that God is awesome and holy. You don't just know that you're a sinner against him. You don't just know that Jesus died on the cross. Your heart and life must be now responding away from your sins and to Jesus with faith. God, forgive me. And so here what we have is them wanting to do something, but they're not wanting to acknowledge the main thing. Listen to this from one commentator, Phillips. He says, this was the problem with Israel's attitude toward the Lord. They would offer burnt offerings. They would offer year-old calves. They would offer thousands of rams. They would offer tens of thousands of rivers of oil. But they would not offer God what he asked for. Themselves. Their hearts. Their undivided faith. Their unfeigned devotion. They were thinking, I'll do anything. And you know people like that. I'll do anything to make it up to you. You want me to buy you another one? You want me to give you some money? You want me to do this? You want me to take a vacation? You know, you want me to do all of this? And in our marriages, we see this time and time again. And the spouse doesn't want anything except your heart. And this is what God is saying to his people. No, a wealthy sacrifice isn't going to do it. 10,000 sacrifices isn't going to do it. Tons of oil, tens of thousands of oil isn't going to do it. Giving me your son, which is the ultimate gift in a pagan world. No, it's not it. But that's what they think. What was the problem with the Israelites' desire to bring sacrifices? Listen to this. The problem was that the sacrifices they wanted to give God were a picture of the promise that God had given to them. The true Lamb of God, his own son, whose death would atone for their sins. Listen, the sacrifices were never intended to function as a way of buying off God. Never. You cannot earn anything with God. Nothing. The question then is what those who have received God's priceless gift of salvation should then offer to God in return? The answer is our very selves, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls. The way we offer ourselves to God, listen, is by loving him with all that we are and by loving our neighbor as ourselves. You remember when Jesus was asked, What is the whole Bible about? And it is not doing things. It is about loving. It is about the way your heart feels. You all know. I can give gifts to my wife every day. 
and my heart not mean it. God is telling people, you can do things I've told you to do all your life and your heart not mean it. You can go to church and not mean it. You can appreciate your pastor and not mean it. God wants our hearts. Deep down character, integrity, honesty, humility. Who are you deep down when nobody's watching simply between you and God? Do you love him? So they offer all of that and then the prophet Micah answers back in verse 8 with Micah 6, 8. One of the best verses in the entire Bible. Please circle it, underline it, highlight it, memorize it. Never forget this verse. So upon verses 6 and 7, with them offering all of these suggestions of what they might do to God to please Him back or to make it right or to make up for all of their sins, you get such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Verse 8, Micah replies back, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? He's indicted them. You're sinners. You're wrong. You've offended me. They say, What can we do? What can we do? He says, No, no, no. He has told you, O man, what is good. He has told you what does the Lord require of you. So yes, in some senses, there are requirements. Here's what they are, according to Micah. Three things. To do justice. To love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. Parents, if you have kids in the house memorize this one. Grandparents, you have kids in the house, memorize this one. God has a requirement for your soul getting restored back to God. God has an answer, a reply, a response of what do I do to get back right with God? And here it is. Oh Lord, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? And here's the thing. They had heard that very wording before. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 10 from Moses. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. They had heard that before. That the Lord has requirement, that the Lord has an answer. And so what is God saying? God wants us, all of us. He wants our hearts. He wants our desire to be him. But he describes it in these three ways. Do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Number one, to do justice. Man, it's a big word these days. Justice starts to speak to there are things that are fair or not fair. And fair comes back to there are things that are right and wrong. And there needs to be in the heart of us people a clear understanding of what is fair and what is not fair, what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. And the people of God who love God are those who understand that. There is no understanding of justice and fairness and rightness apart from God and his truth. His word is the standard. God is the standard. If you don't understand God, you don't understand justice. We are to be a people who understand that we want things to be fair. We want things to be right. And while it is true, and I say it to my kids all the time, suck it up. Life isn't fair to the extent that we are responsible for something. May we live fairly. May we live honestly. May we live rightly. May we live in a good way. This is what God wants. For when your heart is set on God, you want all of your ways to reflect God. heard a story just recently of a shop owner who had been recently saying that their shop was going down, they weren't making enough money, and they were thinking about closing the shop. And somebody came in, it was a watch repair, and somebody came in and said, I need to get my watch fixed. The watch was so expensive that the man was going to be able to charge them such an expensive amount that it would have been the answer to what he needed. And he had been praying for God to supply the money. first thought, he thought, praise the Lord, God's answered our prayer. My family's going to be provided for. This is what I needed. So he took the watch and he got into it. And once he had opened it up and he got into it, he realized that it wasn't what he thought it was. It was actually just the smallest little thing. Only a 10 buck repair. He already told the man, though, that it was going to be thousands of dollars. You know what he did? Fixed it back, came back and said, sir, I just need to apologize. It's only going to be 10 bucks. The man was so thankful, took his watch and left. He went back in and his daughter says, so did we get the money? Our God answer our prayer? He said, no, it wasn't what I thought it was. It was only a 10 buck repair. So I, I told the man that he didn't need to pay me that, just pay me 10. The girl said, what? He wouldn't have known. You could have just taken the money and it would have been the answer to our prayer. We need the money. He said to her, more than we need the money, we need God. And God knows whether what I did was right or wrong, honest or dishonest. God answers to the people of Israel and says, You know what is good and what I require of you. Do justice. Do the right thing. Not because it's the right thing. That's that's, that's what the memes say these days. Do the right thing because it's the right thing. No. Do the right thing because you love God. Do the right thing because God knows, God sees, God rewards, God is worshipped, God is pleased. Because your heart wants to be like God. Do the right thing. Do justice. Secondly, love kindness. Some of your Bibles say love mercy. Some of them say love love. Some of them say be loving. But this word here, kindness, is a, is a tricky word. It's a complicated word. It's a word that really speaks to love and mercy and steadfast love and kindness. And it's really kind of hard to understand. I want to explain it to you. 
In different contexts, this word is translated mercy, faithfulness, and loving. It's, it's, it's translated uh, differently because it's trying to get to the way God's heart is. It's the great description of God's faithful, kind, and merciful covenant love. As one commentator explains, listen, it gives where no giving is required. It acts when no action is deserved. And it penetrates both the attitudes and the activities. To love kindness is to look on the weak and vulnerable with the eyes of God's love and give them not what they deserve, but give them what they need. Do justice. Love kindness. Both of these speak to the second commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. But then the final thing as we wrap up our service here today, Micah says, you know, O oh man, what is good and you know what the Lord requires of you for you to walk humbly with your God. And there is no escaping, no escaping what this means. We all know what it means. It means to have a relationship with your Father in heaven. There is no way to not have a relationship and yet say you love him. It won't work. God won't let us do that. There's no way for you to not love God and yet keep doing all these things that God tells you to do and for that to fly. It won't work. God doesn't allow that. God points and points and gets narrow and narrow and digs deep into the heart with his truth. Here's what I want. I want you to love me. I want you to walk humbly with me. Walk humbly with me. And so when we start saying, are you a Christian, and you say, well, I go to church, or I do this, or I love my pastor, or things like that, let's get to the heart of Micah 6, 8, what God says, does your heart love God? Are you walking humbly with him to the challenging Monday tomorrow? Is he there with you? Are you there with him? Are y'all in this together? Are you and God on a walk together? Where are you going? We're going to life. We're going to every day, 24-7, God with me, me with God, here we go, because I love him. Never confusing it with what you do for God. I love to take my family on walks. We've walked Fairdale a million times. Short little walk from our house to the gas station to get a slushie. The kids love to do that. We go downtown to that walking bridge and walk from Kentucky to Indiana. The kids love doing that. But I have learned from the females in my life the difference between a real walk and just going on a walk. I like to walk fast. They like to walk slow. And there have been many, many times where we've gone on a walk and I left them. And Val will just do like Val's does and teach me the hard way. But Carolina and Lily will stop. And here I am, you know, 100 yards ahead, and I turn around, and they're like this. And they've taught me that just because we're on a walk doesn't mean we're walking together. If you want to be honest about whether you're really a Christian, are you walking humbly with God? Y'all walking together, are you walking? 
Are you guilty in your sins? So saying, God, okay, God, what do you want? You want an expensive gift today? You want a lot of gifts today? You want all my time today, a little bit of my time? God, do I need to go big and hit a home run today to just show you how much I love you so that I can quickly get back to it? Not walking with you? Or do you walk with him? You walk with him. He has told you, oh man, what is good. And what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If you are not walking with God, you need Jesus. If you have not humbled yourself before God and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, claimed him and professed him to be the Lord of your life, That's what you need to do. You need to stop thinking, well, I'm Christian because I do this. And you need to honestly start believing, I'm Christian because God loves me and sent Jesus for me, and now I love him back. Today, before we dismiss, humble yourself before God and start walking with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for Micah chapter 6. Thank you for Micah 6, 8. Oh, Father, have mercy upon us. May we not be those who have this confused. May we walk with you. Lord, speak to our hearts. May we get right with you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.